Hello and welcome to Yeah, that can't be good A rewatch podcast of the sci-fi original series Eureka The longest running original series on the sci-fi channel to date Thanks for joining us If you'd like to leave a comment You can do that on our website EurekaRewatch.com On our Facebook page Facebook.com backslash Eureka Rewatch or on Twitter at Eureka Rewatch. Let's get going. Here's Doug with the Voodoo Synopsis. Season 1, Episode 7 Blink. When Stark pits two research teams against each other, he gets a Made in Eureka result that is as disturbing as it is mind-blowing. Will a top-secret drug give Eureka's town folks a competitive edge or a dangerous addiction? As the situation escalates, Carter's daughter Zoe and Allison's son get caught in the crossfire. Written by Andrew Cosby and Jamie Paglia. Directed by Jeffrey Levy. Original air date, August 29, 2006. Thanks, Doug. Hi, this is Vicki, and I'm back with Kim for Season 1, Episode 7, Blink. Hi, Kim. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Great. Okay, so we can't really start this podcast without mentioning the fact that, because the name of this episode is Blink, that Blink is one of my favorite and one of the most terrifying Doctor Who episodes, to me anyway. And this episode of Doctor Who with the Weeping Angels creeped me out to no end. Blink. Don't blink. Oh, cool. You know, later on in the series, they did a couple more with the Angels, which didn't bother me as much. But that first one really creeped me out. (laughs) (laughs) And and actually, David Tennant wasn't even in it all that often. It was just a couple of uh, DVD clips he was in. But for some reason, that one bothered me to no end. So I couldn't start this without mentioning Doctor Who, since it's sharing the name with this episode. A couple of years ago, we went to Cardiff to the, Doctor, oh, okay. to the Doctor Who experience. Ooh. And at the time, I wrote a blog about it, but I never really went into detail about what was in there because, you know, not to spoil it for anybody else who might go, but I think they change it for every doctor. So when we went, Peter Capaldi was the doctor, and now there's that woman. I'm a little behind on my Doctor Who. But mm-hmm. there was a part, so I, I could say it now because I'm sure they changed it up a little bit. There was a there was one area where you had to walk through this dark, dark cemetery with all the weeping angels. It was so creepy. Who I wouldn't would, be able to do it. No, who would ever thought that a bunch of angel statues would be so terrifying? I don't know what stop you talking, but I can guess they're coming. The angels are coming for you, but listen, your life could depend on this. Don't blink. Don't even blink. Blink and you're dead. They are fast, faster than you can believe. Don't turn your back. Don't look away and don't blink. Good luck. Yeah, and that's not even in my collection of Weeping Angel. I got everything else, but I ain't got a Weeping Angel. Yeah, we have a couple, but it's just terrifying to me. Well, anyway, um, back to Eureka. (laughs) (laughs) So in, in, in this episode, we have baseball. We have an accident and a dead body. We have a Section 5 project. We have school parental pressure and work pressure. And we have curing autism. So I'm going to start with the curing autism. This show was made in 2006. So I'm going to give him a pass on the curing autism storyline. 
It was done in 2006, which doesn't seem that long ago, but 2006, most of the funding and the research for autism was finding a cure and a cause. That's changed a lot since then. So I am going to give them the benefit of the doubt that if they made the show now, they would be a little more responsible and not make it about curing autism, but make it more about awareness, acceptance, treatments, and supports. Okay. I just don't want to get into debates with any people that might be listening about the curing autism. I'm going to give them a pass on that. As I said, that was that was what was going on back then, which doesn't seem that long ago, but that was what the, the mindset was. Okay. So, rant over. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's move on to baseball. We remember from probably the second episode that Carter has a love of baseball. And in the Monday morning minute that Henry mm-hmm. does, that they do their town meeting by remote, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Carter wants everybody to get together for baseball. Really throughout the episode, he's teased a little bit about that. And then we'll get to the end where they actually do have a baseball game for him. Although <laughs> it's not the way he wanted it. It's not what he expected. It was more of a <laughs> a virtual baseball game. It was better than the virtual, like the virtual tennis game we saw in uh, right. Alienated. I mean, they were standing four feet apart and really not doing anything. The virtual baseball game seemed to be, you know, they still had to run. I, I don't really know what was virtual about it except for the ball and the bat. I think it was just more or less a couple of A's. Yeah, because it seemed like they still would have to run the bases and they were still out on a baseball diamond. They weren't just standing in some room like in, uh, what was the name of that? Oh, in the elderly? Um, yeah. Yeah, the rest home. I yeah. Was, exactly was the rest home, but yeah. Dr. Nobel, yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't really understand what the difference was between playing a regular game of baseball and what they did because it really wasn't all that virtual. Although we're not seeing what they're seeing through the glasses. And I think cause maybe because there could have been more people involved. Maybe. Because it was just the two, the two gentlemen that were, you know, that had the match where now you have a group of people in a different situation. Right, yeah. We move on to the crime scene. Carter gets called by Joe to a car accident, and after some investigation, they find the body in the woods. And then, of course, Taggart just comes up out of the woods <laughs> with the light on his head. He just happens to be passing by. How'd you get here so fast? And what, you were just passing by in full camis and night vision goggles? Yeah. Nice. He, of course, is hunting for Bigfoot. <laughs> but, you know, Carter's not having any of that. Of course, Henry shows up. They're looking at the body, and they discover it has a computer chip, which means it has something to do with global dynamics. As always. After Allison tells him she's not going to tell anybody, she tells Nathan, because I guess it's protocol. So they all show up to take the body, which was a, kind of a funny scene, because, you know, Henry sneaks a body image. Mm-hmm. while Carter and Nathan are arguing about whose crime scene it is and who has jurisdiction. I respect the job you do, Sheriff. I do. It just ends here. I'm just getting started. Be prudent, Sheriff. wouldn't want you to end up in federal prison. Yeah? Well, I wouldn't want you to end up my foot shoved up your ass. Carter! Sheriff, we're grown men. I like to think we're a little more involved in that. Well, you overestimate me. Touche. 
Nathan gets to take the body, but then we find out that Henry took this body scan so he could investigate the accident without Nathan knowing about it. You know, it's funny with Henry, if there's a choice between working for Global or against it, he he seems to work against it. Not that right. the sheriff is against Global, but he always seems to be working against the secrets that he thinks Global might be keeping. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think he knows. He knows their secrets. Yeah, and he always seems to be on the side that wants the secrets to come out. Yeah. You know? He works at Global when he has to save the world. But if there's a side to choose where the secret can come out, he chooses, like, to help Carter instead of to help Nathan. Right, yeah. That's always interesting. We find out that Fargo is working on a project that will, could get him into Section 5. Right, but I like his project. Yeah. The other team was run by Milton, and that we meet when Nathan has a meeting with Fargo and Milton. And Nathan really puts on the pressure. This is one of the few episodes, and I know Nathan is supposed to be a snarky character, but I usually like him, even though he's not always nice and cordial. But this episode, I really do not like him at all. He seems like he's up to something. He's hiding things. Well, that's because he is. He, uh, yeah. I think this episode is where I really got confused about him. Because he does seem like he's up to something. He seems like he puts way too much pressure on these teams to come up with a solution to their, you know, shield they're trying to invent. He even says something like competition breeds excellence. And then he pushes their deadline up to give them more pressure. What does he expect to happen here? I don't know if it's to break them or make them better. That one I'm torn between because there's such, I don't want to say it. Because it's like, it is, the pressure's on, but will it make you or break you? Some people say it'll make you better, some people it breaks. Right. But certain companies do do that. They put you in a situation that you might not win, but it's also just hanging in there. And then there's people who just can't hang and they're gone. Right. And I guess, but what happens to both of these teams is the one team is juicing on whatever this drug is that they've gotten, and the other team, Fargo's team, is now willing to cheat. We need to step it up, we need to get serious, but mostly, we need to cheat. Fargo sends this fly cam into the Section 5 room where the other team is, and is able to get this drug, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Even the side story about, well, it's not actually the side story, we find out later, about Zoe's friend, Dylan. Yes. You know, he feels pressure from his parents and from school, and he feels like he doesn't measure up. It kind of reflects what goes on today. Some kids just feel too much pressure to measure up to what their parents think they're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, look what happens to him. Well, even when Zoe, they're walking through the hallway, she's, she's talking to the cheerleaders. When Ashley kind of is like the opposite of regular high school. Because when she went to high school, it was the cheerleaders. They were supposed to be whatever. Right. And then you had the jock and the nerd. And, you know, the jock is the one picking up the books and apologizing. Right. Where normally you don't see that. It's usually, you know, bullying kind of reversed. And then there's the pressure on. You're in this whole community where people are supposed to be geniuses, and if you fall short, that's where the pressure is. You know, and it's the same way now. It's basically almost the same. Like, you could be in a family of people who have their 4.0, 
and then you have a child that's struggling to make 3.0, and it's that pressure to try to measure up when in reality everybody goes at their own pace. Right, which is the way it should be. But, mm-hmm. you know, and this Dylan is a genius, and still he's struggling to keep up to expectations. Yeah, this episode says a lot about the pressures that we put on kids. Mm-hmm. Now, Carter and Joe go back to the crime scene, and they find an ear. Henry, after doing all kinds of different scenarios on his computer... No, he hit the car. What, was it going like 500 miles an hour? 588 miles an hour, and he glanced off it, which would explain why the car spun out instead of being smashed on impact. Yeah... I think I like the Bigfoot theory again. The person actually hit the car, the car didn't hit the person, and that's the only scenario that makes sense. So because they have this ear that they found in the tree, they're able to test the ear for drugs. Okay, so Carter has this ear. I thought he brought it to Henry to test for drugs. And then somehow when he's home later that night, he still has the ear. Now, I could have sworn he gave it to Henry, but... He did give it to Henry. That's what I thought. But even if he didn't give it to Henry... Why is he still carrying this ear around? Shouldn't it be marked as evidence? I mean, he's marking it as evidence at home. But shouldn't that have been done already? You're not going to walk around with an ear all day. Right. But I was looking at it. It doesn't even look like there's an ear in it. Yeah, so then I don't know what that was. I assumed it was the ear. Because what else would he be marking as evidence? He didn't have any right. evidence. I'm trying to think. So he has a bag in his hand. Yeah, and he's putting his name on it like he's marking it as evidence. But... I mean, you don't just carry evidence around with you all day. Okay, so hold on for one second. I'm going to try to freeze it. It's not an ear. What is it? There's a red band that kind of looks like blood. Yeah, it's okay. It's a vial that he took. All right. So that makes sense, and that actually is going to make the point that I'm going to make even better. The vial. <laughs> okay, so we have this kid, Dylan, who's visiting Zoe. And this blur comes by Carter... It spreads all paperwork all over the place and is able to write on the wall, back off, and still get back upstairs so Zoe never knows he's gone. Now, number one, if you were Dylan and you wanted Carter to back off, writing back off on the wall isn't going to do it. That's just going to make him want to investigate more. Right. Number one. Number two, if the vial or the ear was there, why doesn't he just take the vial and the ear instead of writing on the wall? You know? True. Yep. So that whole bit didn't make sense to me at all. Good. <laughs> Unless you didn't know what he had in there. True. That's but at a- one point, I kind of remember where he had it. Like I said, I'm thinking maybe he doesn't know he has the vial. Maybe. Because at first, I thought it was the ear, too. And then again, depending on where he where it was when he walked in, he might not have known, but he knows what he is working on. And then takes his pen to write back off. Right. But, you know, even something like that, and people do that in shows all the time, you know, they think that writing something like that is going to make somebody stop investigating. Well, it's going to make them investigate more. Yeah, it would make me because I want to know who wrote it. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. But he is a high school kid, so you, you have to think that. He's, he's on drugs and he's not thinking clearly because he's young, yeah. too. But I think my favorite scene in this episode is the cafeteria. Oh, when they're gorgeous. Yes. You know, when Carter explains it to Allison, first she looks at him like, uh, yeah, okay. But then when she sees the amount of food they're eating, it does make sense, and you can see it makes sense to her. But then when Nathan comes... Do you have evidence that they're taking something illegal? 
Well, illegal, no, but that body was pumped with something from your lab. And whoever gave it to him is looking at a possible murder charge. Assuming that's true, um, how do you know anybody else is taking it? I have my reasons. I'm listening. These guys are eating way too much. Your damning evidence is a healthy appetite? Well, when you put it like that, it just sounds about... I I just like that whole scene. And then, of course, he says, I'm going to need more evidence. And here comes Fargo blowing through the whole place with a huge tray of food. So I guess he has evidence. But, you know, in all this time, Nathan is trying to get that vial from Carter. He wants to take it and have it examined. He doesn't want whatever's in that vial to get out. He seems like he's trying to cover up everything. Yeah, he's doing a lot of covering up. We just ain't got to. Yeah, I really wasn't a fan of him this episode. Mm. I mean, I know some of his job is not to let, you know, the general public know what's going on there, but this kind of seemed more underhanded than doing his job. You know, and then after Carter interrogates this guy, we find out that the drug is something that Allison's son is on in this drug trial. And Nathan tries to tell her, well, this has been cooked up into something different. This isn't whatever he's on. And this is another thing I don't understand. Earlier on, Allison mentioned the drug trial and how much better Kevin was doing. It's a blind study, so nobody knows who's on the drug and who's not on the drug, you know. And Nathan is not supposed to know either. And when she finds out this drug is what Kevin may be on, Nathan tells her that Kevin's on the placebo, and Nathan's not supposed to know this. Now, Nathan is the one who talked her into doing this drug trial, but then he says that Kevin's not on the drug because he was worried that it's a new drug and he didn't want any of the side effects to affect him. So that doesn't make sense to me because it was his idea to get him in the trial. He doesn't want her to know the truth. I think so, too. I think that maybe he was on the drug. I think he is, I think he was or is on it. I think that her son is the guinea pig. That's, he is the guinea pig. I don't even know if there's other subjects. Could be. And then he says something, and I can't decide if I'm annoyed or not. He says to Allison, Kevin is better because you're better. Or Kevin is different because you're different. So what is he saying? Is he saying that Kevin is different because she's a better mother than she was two months ago? I mean, what is he saying there? Yeah, I didn't like that either. Yeah. And then part of me is like, well, you know, even if certain, like, Carter, he kind of brings a different change to everybody's life. Yeah. And even with her, it could be that she's stepping a little bit lighter, the pressure, because he's so easy to talk to, and there's a little comedy in him. You know, that's pleasant to be around. Yeah. I believe that her attitude in certain situations lightens up. When she's with Nathan, it all seems like it's strictly business. Even though they was married, it was like this, you know, it was structured. It was, this is how it was supposed to be, work, da da this, da da that. And when Carter comes around, it's like you could kind of relax. You could kind of exhale. Right. And maybe in that particular moment, even kids in the household, if your parents are not uptight, wow, mom, dad, oh, shoot, I could, you know, I could breathe for a minute. Everybody could breathe for a minute. But then when things get tense and serious, that's when everybody's on their P's and Q's and it has to step lightly. Yeah, you, that could be right. It just, this whole scene didn't make sense to me. And there's times when you think Nathan really does care about Kevin. But then on second glance, you're like, no, he's up to something, mm-hmm. you know? And I would hate to think that he really doesn't care about this kid, but, and it could possibly be that he is trying to help him, but on top of that, he's up to something. Mm -hmm. 
so then we go back, and Carter realizes it's Dylan that was in his house. So he goes to get Zoe at school, and they go looking for Dylan, and Zoe's in the middle of not believing that anybody can move that fast when he just disappears from the car. Dylan grabs him out of the car, and yep. they end up on a beach. This is where the whole baseball scenario comes to rest. Dylan tries to shoot Carter with his own gun, but the gun doesn't go off because the safety was on. And then he decides he's going to just charge at him. Zoe was playing with a baseball in Carter's car, and Carter took it from her and put it in his pocket. He has the baseball and clips him right in the head with it (laughs) while he's charging at him. (laughs) So there's a reason why they started talking about baseball in the beginning of this episode, and baseball saved the day, pretty much. Yeah, but even in the smart world, when I think about sports or certain things, it's geometry. There's a certain aspect to how far you can throw that ball and right. where the target is. Right. Carter, again, I say he might seem uh, simple layman terms, but he is a smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. Then we go back to, towards the end of the episode to Stark in his office calling somebody, and he's got the vial, and he's making whatever is in the vial a top priority, which makes me believe that he knew what was in that all along. Mm-hmm. You know, because even back when he found out that one of the guys from Section 5 was the victim of the accident, and he went into Section 5, you know, the room, it was all red, yeah. to talk to the rest of the team, he said, is there anything I should know? And the guy said, no, you know, other than, I can't remember the victim's name, other than him, you know, you'll have your prototype tomorrow. And Nathan says, uh, a man is dead, I have other things to worry about. Milton, the head of the the team, says, you have other things to worry about more than wanting us to finish this prototype. Do you want us to stop? And Nathan, his ambition comes through, and he doesn't have them stop. He has them keep going. And I'm sure he knew something was up at that point, but he still has them keep going with the uh, prototype because his ambition kind of overrides his humanity sometimes. Yeah. This is just an, an episode that I do not like. Nathan, at all. Well, certain things, I, and I understand because it just, you know, reminds me of even going back in history, how people experiment, experimented, even like Hitler as far as children, identical twins. Yeah. Certain things that they were, you know, and to think that there is, you know, just a test to see what's going on. Right. But that cared, cared for but um, it's almost the same thing to where if, if I could find a cure and jeopardize your life, then it's well worth it. And I don't believe in that. I no. don't think that anybody should have to die to find a cure. Right, and I don't even know, like I said, I don't even really know if that drug was really, if finding a cure is really his intention with that drug. It may have another use. It may have a military use because they're they're always into these classified military weaponizing things, you know. Well, I think it's military. Yes, yeah, so, I don't think it's government. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I think they're using curing autism as a cover mm-hmm. for being able to test whatever this medication is. I could be totally wrong, but that's how I felt. Not I'm still the same way. Yeah, like there's another use for this, and that's why he wants it tested. Right. And I mean, in the meantime, if he can't find it, 
still find it, but I think his intentions are not, that's not his sole agenda. Right, right. Because think about it. If at one point in the military, if you could get something that fast, right, just think of what you can do. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, he never passes, it lets an opportunity go by. Mm-hmm. And even if he didn't know beforehand, as soon as he found out whatever this concoction they made could do, now he wants it tested. Now he wants to do something with it. Mm-hmm. I like this episode, but it doesn't put Nathan in a good light to me, where normally I do like his character. Mm-hmm. But this one, no. He just seemed evil through the, throughout the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So pretty much we're at the end of the episode, unless you have something else we didn't cover. No, I think that's it. Okay. All right, so this is Vicki, and I'm here with Kim, and we will be back. Well, one of us will be back (laughs) next week with episode eight. See you later. Bye. Have a great day. Okay, DC, tell us what's next. Please join us next time for Season 1, Episode 8, Right in Rains. See you soon. Bye. Please remember to follow us on our Facebook page. Yeah, that can't be good. At Facebook.com backslash Eureka Rewatch. Or on Twitter at Eureka Rewatch. Links to information discussed during our podcasts will be added to our website at EurekaRewatch.com. You can also listen to our podcast on Podbean. If you'd like to send us an email, please email us at EurekaRewatch at gmail. We would love to hear from you.